So I just try and explain it to people in a really kind of simple uh, way because I think once you've got your sense of purpose plus an understanding of what is actually happening in your body at a cellular level when you age, it starts to make sense. And rather than just saying, oh, you need to exercise, you need to exercise because this is what it does to the aging process. And if you exercise, you will be able to do that thing you dream of when you're older or cuddle your grandchildren or whatever it is. Then it starts to make sense and then you start to make a connection with people and the, the thought process is, okay, right, now I know, now I get it. This is why I should be doing it. Hello and welcome to the Natural Healthcare Network podcast. My name is Deb McLeod, and I really appreciate your sitting in and listening in. Today, I have co-author Susan Saunders joining me. She and Annabelle Streets wrote The AgeWell Project. This is a story about two women who've decided to take their own health and well-being into their hands. And this has since evolved into a blog, which has turned into a book. And now Susan is going to share her story. I hope you sit back and enjoy hearing what's happening with Susan in particular. Thank you so much for joining me today. It is lovely to have you on my podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Thank you. (laughs) It was great. Well, I've been following you guys, you and Annabelle, for a while with the AgeWell Project. So it's really exciting having you here. And it's kind of strange. I don't like to use the word that I'm, you know, any any of the wrong words of stalking or anything. But social media is a bit odd, isn't it? Because you, you kind of, you start watching people and you think, oh, I'm getting to know them really well. And I don't really know you, but I feel like I know you. <laughs> oh, that, well, that's good. And I'm glad that that comes across in our social media because we are just kind of doing our thing and putting out there what we believe in, what we care about, what we want to share and what we think is important. So it's, it's, there's no kind of particular agenda or anything. So if it connects with people and people feel they know us and are engaged, then that's fantastic. Oh, well, that's good. And we're, we're here today to talk primarily and not specifically, but we are here to talk about the AgeWell Project. We're um, here to talk about your story, your background. Uh, I know Annabelle couldn't join, which is, uh, it would have been nice if she could, but it's equally exciting having you here so we can I can hear about how this came to be. You talk about it in your book, The AgeWell Project, but there is going to be stuff behind that. So, If you're happy for us to just talk through the background and see how this evolves through our conversation, talk about what you're doing now, what your plans are, is that okay with you? Yes, yes, that's fantastic. Okay, okay. Okay. Well, uh, if I just say, well, how about you just kind of kick off and let's talk a little bit about how you started and what, what, what got you involved with the AgeWell project? I suppose the event which started my interest in aging well, was my mother's diagnosis with dementia. So I was 36. I had a newborn baby and a toddler. I was working full time as a TV producer, married, house, husband, all the responsibilities, all the juggle in the world. Uh, And I knew things were not right with my mother. And I got her seen by a gerontologist who said, your mother has severe dementia. So at that point, age 36, I also became a carer. 
Uh, and my mother lived for another 12 years. So that was another 12 years of managing that along with everything else. Goodness. And what made that, um, that diagnosis more poignant was that as a teenager myself, I'd watch my mother care for her mother with dementia. And so I thought, oh, uh, I can see a pattern emerging here. And with two daughters myself, I thought, I really don't want to be in the position, or at least I want to do everything I can to reduce the risk. That's something we talk about a lot, reducing risk. What can I do to reduce my risk of putting my daughters in the same position? So that was that's what sparked the interest. And so I started from that point just reading and researching on my own. And I was often very confused about all those kind of reports that say, drink coffee, you'll live forever. Don't drink coffee, you'll die. Uh, and <laughs> trying to find my way through all that. And then when my younger daughter was at nursery, um, I met Annabelle, um, who has a daughter the same age, and we started just talking about our mutual interest in health. Annabelle's grandmother had dementia. Um, Annabelle herself has some health issues. There are some um, health issues within her family. And we were both just really interested in what we could do ourselves, what what there was out there that, that would allow us to have some sense of control over what appeared to be predestined health conditions. So, so we just started talking about it and I sort of said, oh, you know, I should be writing this down and sharing it. And she, Annabelle had done a um, food, photography, food photography course and had um, produced a community cookbook. And so the, the idea of the original blog kind of evolved from there really. And um, we started writing and researching and we were very focused on at that point on food and diet and nutrition and I think when I started my age world project I really thought if I eat the right things then I'm less likely to get dementia and what has evolved for me and I'm sure we'll talk about later is an understanding of all the other things that are yeah. involved in aging well, that, that really um, diet is a foundation, but it's only one of a number of, um, of things that, that, that we should be putting in place uh, as we get older. So we, start, so we started our blog, we originally called it Kale and Coco, and we wrote about um, new research which had been published, which resonated with us, uh, and a recipe that matched, and it, it was as simple as that. And we've always looked on ourselves as kind of curators of information. You know, there are so many, as you will well know, there are yeah. so many reports published all the time um, that you know, tell you to drink coffee or don't drink coffee or whatever it is. And um, so we thought well, you know, we're not going to get hung up too much you will make sure that it's good solid science and research and if it resonates with us then we'll write about it and if it doesn't we won't um so so that was our starting point really so that was just over six years ago um, and then we then from that 
point, you know, we were doing that and we were building a community and it, it was lovely and my, our knowledge was growing about what's what was important you know, what were the elements of um aging well that went beyond diet and nutrition and uh, we're starting to sort of formulate a plan um and, and and broaden out what we were doing and then in i think it must have been spring 2017 annabelle had a really bad accident um she collapsed she collapsed she doesn't know why. She had endless tests, uh, but she collapsed on the street near her home um, and uh, fractured her skull. So the collapse Ooh. was one health issue, and then obviously the fractured skull was another extremely serious one. Um, and uh, as she recovered, she said, I'd like us to make a book from the blog. And I thought, okay, okay, if... <laughs> If believing that we can get a, you know, a book out of the blog will help her recover, then we've got to do it. We've got to go for it. And Annabelle's a writer. She, she by that stage, had written one fabulous novel and then had another one coming out. Um, and so you, books and how to make that happen was much more her world. I suppose as a TV producer, perhaps I'm more of a doer, but she she really understood the, kind of the book world. Uh, so we wrote a... Um, a pitch for a for a book, an outline for a book, and we sent it to some non-fiction literary agents who Annabelle had uh, tracked down. And within twenty-four hours, we were getting responses back saying, "Love it. Let's wow. meet. I want to call you. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Love what you're doing." Which I mean, I just thought, "Oh gosh, we've you know, we've written." Yeah, we've written the outline for a book. That's great. That's yeah, probably enough. But people were really interested and really felt it resonated because obviously health and wellness and that whole world is growing faster and faster. But a lot of it is aimed at the younger market. It's aimed Absolutely. at that sort of deliciously Ella, yoga-loving, green smoothie, single 20-something woman. That's the classic kind of person in wellness i suppose um and i love all those people and i think they're amazing and brilliant but but you know, our our focus was with um older so so we met some literary agents and we picked one and uh, she said well look, write me a more detailed treatment for the book so we just wrote off we wrote something we didn't we weren't very happy with it um but we sort of thought oh well let's get something out and get some feedback um so we said oh, do give us some feedback. She said, oh, no, it's fantastic. I'm sending it to all these publishers. I mean, oh, gosh. Okay, okay. Um, so then we had um, some interest from uh, publishers. Uh, it was interesting who was interested in who wasn't and the reasons for not being um, when you're in that sort of world of health, having platform, having tens if not hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram, being a celebrity, all that kind of thing really counts, and we didn't tick any of those boxes. But um, we we found people who were interested, and we um, went through that auction process, and we uh, ended up with uh, Piatkus, who we love very much um, as our publishing house. And then we were kind of left alone to get on with it, which was really uh, really interesting um, because I'm a TV producer, and that's my day job. Television is an extremely collaborative process. 
you don't right. do anything without talking to somebody else about it. You, it's a everything happens with someone else or, or a group of people. You it's project based. You move forward as a group. Um, whereas writing, even writing a book with somebody else, actually the reality is you have to sit down and crack on by yourself. There's no, you know, I, I had visions of we, we'd be sitting around our kitchen tables kind of writing together. And actually, that's really distracting. You just have to shut yourself in a room and read and do the research and make the calls and all that stuff. So, um, so yeah, so we, so we wrote the book and it was published uh, in May 2019. And very quickly thereafter was on the Amazon bestseller list, Amazon UK. Uh, and was um, a bestseller in various categories. And you know, that was really exciting. And we were um, uh, asked to speak at the Cheltenham Literature Festival and we were featured in The Guardian. We wrote a big piece of The Guardian and all those sort of things, which, which just felt like dreams come true. You know, I was, when we got a literary agent, I was 50, and I thought, my God, you know, I've got my first literary agent at the age of 50. <laughs> that was just so amazing. And then so many other amazing things have happened off the back of that that um it's it's you know it's exciting and it's sort of i suppose in a way we're living the project because we talk about challenging yourself stepping outside your comfort zone interacting with new people and all those sort of things actually have come out or all those things which are known to be good to help you age have for us come out of, of writing the book and the experience of that yeah, I totally understand that. And I, I have to say, when I approached you, I thought, oh, man. I, and most, most of the stuff that I've done with within my being a nutritional therapist but getting involved in the podcasts and doing this, something I always kind of I wanted to do, um, and I didn't say this to you, my background from when I was studying at uni was in communications, so I got into all of that. So when I approached you, I was absolutely squirming. I do this most of the time with the people that I approach and send a message and go, right, I am a fan of yours. <laughs> and I, I, what I love is that you, you took a hold of something that really is, we are, as we get older, being a white-haired woman in my mid-50s, we are sort of forgotten a bit, even though 60, you know, 70s, the new 60 and all that stuff. We are, we're, we're just sort of people ignore the fact that you really do want to thrive and continue to feel well. So I was so excited when I found you online and saw what you were doing. I was, I was jealous because I thought, oh man, they, they picked me <laughs> to the post. And then I just thought, I thought, no, I'm just going to jump in and, and latch on and start in, enjoying what you're doing and just uh, approach you. And that was, that was so it's exciting to see what you what you've done with this and and how you've you've taken a hold of this so how did you i, I mean you've you've said you're sort of you're a cultivator of information how did you separate you know, there's a lot of information out there just from all the research that i do that that we do as colleagues trying to find which research is the right research so how did you two separate that apart so you could say well how are we going to break this down and what are we going to do with it does that make sense what i'm asking yes yeah, so i in terms of the research and the science we try and focus on uh peer-reviewed research papers um based on uh 
longitudinal studies with mul multiple subjects, multiple participants um, that have been published in proper journals um, and you know, it, it's you know, the science is as robust as it can be um, but it's really you know, it, even that itself is a can of worms and yeah. I I interviewed a fantastic Harvard professor for the uh, for the book and we were uh, we talked about this and he and he said, well, you have to remember, you have to be a little bit careful because it's very easy to say, oh, well, that study was published by the Lentil Marketing Board or was funded by the Lentil Marketing Board. Therefore, I've got to dismiss it because it might be biased when it says lentils are good for you. Yeah. The reality is who else is going to fund a study into whether lentils are good for you apart from the Lentil Marketing Board? Because it all research has to be funded. It has to come from somewhere. So you know, the whole, you know, the whole thing is very tricky. But I think for us, so there was a base. There was a uh, trying to work out you know, proper science that you know, that was well researched um, and peer reviewed, and also then looking at what is realistic in people's lives and really using us as the study sample for that. You know, what what works in our lives you know, it's not realistic for us as working mothers with teenagers to feed to say right we're all going to go keto or vegan or uh, you know, without i mean not i mean lots of people do that and they do it brilliantly and they're very healthy on it but if you it's you can't start kind of experimenting with your family week on week off so um it was really a question of what resonated with us what could we make work in our lives and therefore what did we think other people could make work in their lives and I think the more we've gone into it the more time we've spent researching it we have realized that actually doing what needs to be done to age well is very simple there are some very simple parameters the difficulty in our very busy lives when we're pushed unhealthy foods and told to sit on the sofa and binge on Netflix and all that kind of thing. The difficult thing is trying to put it into practice day by day. But actually, the reality is very simple. And that was one of the reasons that I really liked your book and also wanted to approach you is that you take... You, you take the real life aspect of it. And as nutritional therapists, I think it's really easy to lose and or healthcare practitioners it's easy to lose sight of what reality is for the clients and it's something that I think we all strive to do but what I feel you and Annabelle really struck quite nicely was that realistic approach and I was reading that quote to you about you know uh, about alcohol and about certain things of just saying you know you have to proceed with caution but we also you know, you don't want to be drinking a lot, but you also want to be able to relax a bit and allow people to enjoy their lives and embrace. And in order to embrace a healthy lifestyle, you need to be able to do certain things. So I, it's one of the things, one of the many things I really liked about your book and your approach that you took. So we talk, you know, we talk about risk and risk factors a lot. Yeah. And a lot of the research it comes out and it says, Doing X will increase your risk of bowel cancer by 20%, say. And you know, that's a big headline. It's in the papers. You think, oh, my God, I must stop doing X. But if your risk of bowel cancer is 5%, increasing your risk by 20%, 
means your risk of bowel cancer is 6%, if, if that's what it is. And that's not very much. I mean, obviously, all these things are cumulative. Uh, and based on your, your genetic predisposition and all that, you know, there are a lot of other factors to bear in mind. But I think it's you know, understanding your risk, both in terms of you know, how much are you going to increase your risk by a certain behavior, and also the fact that you can, even if you do follow very healthy behaviors, you can't remove your risk completely. You, you might, you know, the bullet may still have your name on it. You don't know. And you know, I do a lot to reduce my risk of Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to get it. I, you know, I, I'm realistic about that. And you know, the same for you know, cancer or, or anything else. It's, you know, we can never say, right, do this and it won't happen. You know, it, you know, it could, you know, could still be coming our way, but it, it's just... What can I, you know, what do I balance out in terms of risk? You know, where you, what is important? What, you know, what is more or less difficult or easy? And you know, what's going to benefit me the most? Well, uh, yes, and there, there is research out there showing that our genes don't have to define us, which is no. part of what you address and you're talking through. Which is really good that it's embracing the things that can make you as as well as you possibly can be so you do thrive which is what we talked about and everything is a balance isn't it really so i think um and when i think again you approached really nicely and we probably should should talk about how you decided to your process of breaking the the bits down in the book and the sections that you did which i thought was really nice and and not just making it about food because even though as a nutritional therapist, I do think it's important what we eat, but it, it is a cornerstone of our overall health and well-being. So are you happy to talk a little bit about how you decided to structure that in the book yes. or what, what caused you to do that? Is that okay? Yes. I think once we'd got, once we'd done our deal with the publisher, we sort of went away and thought, well, what do we actually really want to write about? And we sat down and we wrote a list of almost 100 uh, things which uh, we thought were really important and should be in the book and what we wanted to address and there was research to back them up and then started to kind of look at what were they because you, you, there was a lot of food but there was also a lot of exercise and then there were the you know, the other the other factors as well factors like sleep uh, which came as such a kind of revelation to me you know, when, as I said when we started I really thought if I kind of sort out my diet, then I'll be able to age well. And then I realized that you know, exercise was really key and there are certain ways of exercising which would help more than others. Uh, and then and then sleep actually was the real revelation. You, the, you know, if, if you can get a decent night's sleep every night, you're going to age much better than if you're just you know, having green smoothies and uh, living on kale. You know, it's... Um, it, you know, it's it's so key. You know, what is happening in our brains, in particular, our bodies as well, but our brains in particular, as we sleep, is so crucial. I mean, our brains go through this cleaning, this literal cleaning process. Like the brooms come out yeah. and scrub around uh, and clean out all the detritus which is built up during the day. And if we don't sleep, that process, which only happens in deep sleep, doesn't get to happen. So um, you know, that's really, really critical. So um, it, that that was a revelation. So there were 
you know, sleep was an area we knew we you know we had to tackle and then and then I've broken this down more in the second book actually but then there were the other things the kind of the, having a sense of purpose how we how we live how we are in the world how we interact with people how we um, stimulate our brains with novelty um, how we challenge ourselves uh, that's all kind of a really critical part of, of aging as well um, in fact there's a new there's a, book, a new book coming out I'm plugging in someone else's book but there is a new book coming out which is um, simply about how um, aging is impacted by how we interact with other people so you know how social we are uh, and that's by Marta Zaraska. Uh, it's coming out in June. Um, I can't remember the name of the book, um, but uh, you, it's you, that's such a key element of yep. you know, how we are in the world, how we interact with people, how we stimulate ourselves is you know, is really really key. You know, lonely people don't live as long; they uh, they're more likely to get dementia. Um, so you know, being with people it, you know, is really, really critical, which is why you know, this lockdown and you know, its particular focus on the older population is um, really, really difficult and tragic. And you know, I hope that uh, we're all out of it soon in a healthy way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It is true. And I, I I like several of the approaches that you took in your book where you're saying, you know, get out and try different things. If this doesn't work, then try that. And if you know, getting out and dance and doing those things and it does make it much harder right now, particularly with COVID nineteen and, and all the isolation. So going forward, how do we plan something so people aren't so isolated? And social media is wonderful how it has it's transformed so many people's lives but if you're older and you don't quite get it that is a real challenge isn't it yes I, yes i think yes i think there's a real divide in how people are able to respond uh, uh to corona you know, the coronavirus lockdown depending on how kind of tech savvy they are because you say if you're if you're not tech savvy enough to to do a zoom call or then you are going to be really you you're going to be really isolated that you that's a fact um so um yes i don't know what the answer to that is in the short term but um, i don't i don't know i'm 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 sure we'll come up with with uh some other things i've been amazed at how creative people have become it's lovely to watch and see heartwarming stories so uh, to see what people are doing so you've spoken about your second book shall we do you want to talk a little bit more about do you want to go into your second book or is there something else you would like to talk about before then or you just want to go right into it well i suppose you have to talk about the the sort of the the journey from the first book to the second book the bit in the the middle as we were writing the book i realized that i wanted to do more with the knowledge more than just put it into a book and that the next stage for me was to help other people to um, understand how they could put aging well into practice in their own lives. So I trained as a health coach with the Institute of Integrative Nutrition um, and my focus and my practice, which is small, but um, because I'm still working as a TV producer, um, is on helping people to age well. Um, 
so um, that so that grew out or so that grew out of the first book and the interest there and then I thought oh when the first book came out and it was doing really well I th you know, thought gosh well what else can I do in the book world how can I help people put aging well into practice um, in in another book so the second book is the age well plan cool. um, and that is a day by day week by week six week plan to age well your life make your life an age well life essentially uh, and that has been a much faster turnaround than the first one that it's due out in september i'm not 100% sure whether that will happen depending on lockdown etc I know a lot of books have been pushed back but at the moment it's on track for September the 2nd uh, so so that's really that's really exciting and that I just wanted to be able to spell out more the really simple daily actions that we can all take that um, don't really absorb any time but could but will make a difference to how we age like brushing your teeth while standing on one foot because that helps balance and humming in the shower because that tones the vagus nerve that goes between you know, which is the sort of brain gut connection and all, you know, all those sort of things, just very simple things very simple dietary um as a very simple sort of dietary program to follow for a week a kind of week's menu plan um and, and lots of you know, simple movements and exercise and things to do to stop us being quite so sedentary because that a bit of a killer um and uh ways to be examples of things to try you're trying to be more creative taking on creative projects at the weekend that sort of thing so it's just sort of how to fit it into your life every day and every week without overwhelm that sounds really really good and did you just write it yourself or so did you collaborate with Annabelle again so I wrote this myself uh, for two reasons one it is a, a coaching guide really rather than a book and you know, Annabelle is a writer and she is writing a really fantastic and fabulous book which will be out next year about women artists and the walks they took to um, fire their creativity so it's it's women and walking and art, and it's brilliant. Um, but that's a really big project. So, um, so she felt she wanted to focus on that because her her focus is the writing, and, and I suppose mine's the health, you know, the sort of health bit, particularly more now that I'm a health coach. So that yeah, that's how that sort of broke down. But yeah, you know, the project, yeah, you know, the A2L project, the website, and and uh, the blog is you know, still both of us. So writing the books, you got the fire in your belly to to start the Age Well Project or Coco and Kale and then move into Aging Well and writing the book and then becoming a coach. And all the all at the same time, you're a mom, yeah. you're you have a family, you have a job. So how how are you managing this sort of balance in your own life? Uh, oh, interesting question. Um, <laughs> I think, how am I managing the balance? I'm managing because my children are older now. My elder daughter's at university. The younger one is in year 12, so she's about to turn 17 tomorrow. Uh, and... Um, so that that's kind of more manageable. And television is a 
career of stops and starts and I have been able to take time out. I had a period of unemployment. Actually, when I when we were writing the book, actually I was booked to uh, do a really big project for Channel 5 and uh, it fell through after about a month and I was going to try and write the first book, The A2L Project, and do and make this TV series at the same time. And you know, thank God it fell through because I would, I would have been losing the plot very quickly, I think. Uh, and then after that, and I fin- we finished writing The A2L Project, and then I struggled to get back into work. And I thought, well, maybe this is it. The thing with being a freelance is that it constantly kind of erodes your confidence. So you're constantly thinking, well, maybe... That was the last job. Uh, and at that point, I enrolled with IIN. And mm-hmm. I think doing that, and I also started working with a life coach called Jodie Shield, who's amazing. And that, because I then thought, well, I'm going to launch this coaching business and that's what I will do. But of course, as soon as my confidence came up again, the TV job started rolling in. Um, uh, so, so that, so, so 2019, I was working a lot and promoting the book and writing the treatment for the second book and all that sort of thing. And then I took, I took time, I deliberately took time out, um, over the winter, this winter to write the age well plan. And I delivered it to the publishers on the 1st of March and I started a new job that first week of March. Uh, and we were filming for, well, we had a week of set up and a couple of weeks filming and then lockdown. So, <laughs> so it all kind of stopped. So it, but that has given me the opportunity to focus on my uh, website, Susan Saunders Health, and on my coaching practice and, um, and looking at to build an online um, course and coaching practice that way too. Um, so I, so I think you have, you ask how I cope. I think it's about making the most of the time that's available and the opportunities that are available uh, when they come along uh, and filling those gaps in, um, in, the, in TV production with other things. And also I think now I'm older, I'm more confident uh, with my TV uh, world and I can say to people well I'm sorry I have to leave now because I'm delivering a workshop to 50 people who've paid to hear me talking about aging well or you know, I'm coaching a client or something actually so I'll be you know that's a lunchtime and I'll be you know, available again after 2 30 and just sort of um, spelling that out a bit more so I think it's it's having the confidence to say this is how I'm going to make it work. Yeah. And a, and a fair amount of just, ah, in between. <laughs> Do you find your TV shows are more health orientated or are they just a variety of TV shows that you work on? They, they're not health orientated. I went through a very lovely and delicious period in my career, oh gosh, to 10, 15 years ago, where I did quite a few food programs and I worked with Gordon Ramsay and Raymond Blanc and uh, Jean-Christophe Novelli, uh, which was great. And that was, but it, I hadn't set out to be a kind of food TV producer. And there are a lot of people who do it a lot better than 
I, you know, I did. And then uh, you know, other jobs came along and I've uh, sort of gone in a different direction. I've gone in a more documentary direction from that you know, since that point. Um, right. It's a shame because it was very delicious. Um, but, um, and I learned a lot. You know, I learned a lot. I would make Gordon Ramsay do things more than once so I could learn the technique. So, oh, Gordon, I don't think we quite got the shot. Could you just do that again? Um, so <laughs> so I, I learned quite a lot from that. Um, but yes, now my career is sort of more documentary orientated. But I think one balances the other. I've done some very gritty documentaries about debt and poverty. And it's quite nice to be able to leave that behind. Um, and similarly, uh, in the sort of health world, it you know, it can get quite narrow, so it's good to be able to step out of that. So, uh, and also, I'm increasingly realizing that some of the technical skills I have from television uh, translate. You know, I want to start making videos for my website, so I you know, so that in theory I should be able to do um, <laughs> quite easily. It, you know, it may not quite work out like that, but I think. Um, as, we we were talking and you, know, you came from a more corporate background but you will have brought skills i think we all anyone who makes a kind of pivot in midlife brings a different set of skills with them yeah. to whatever wherever they've been and wherever they're going to yeah and let's face it being older we've we've seen stuff we've experienced things we've had all kinds of things happen in our lives so it just gives us that extra sort of twist you know, that we can yeah. add to, exactly. to what we're doing yeah. so. exactly exactly so it's a knowledge bank that you can draw on mm. so you're you talked about how your confidence has grown and in, in working in work and also what you're doing how else has this changed your life the age well project the, uh, yeah. well well i i hope uh that the age well project has changed my life by making me healthier and making me age better i mean that you know that is the fundamental goal for me you know that was the starting point was what can i do to reduce my you know, the starting point was what can i do to reduce my risk of dementia and it has grown from there but i you know i still hope that is the um you know, that will be the end result it's just i hope now we have helped many other people reduce their risk of the chronic diseases of aging um, along the way so um yeah so my yeah so my life just on a day-to-day -day basis is different i'm um a strong believer in intermittent fasting i've done a lot of research around um the impact of that on cellular aging so i don't have breakfast first thing in the morning anymore i have breakfast at about 11 30 or 11 something like that um and i really prioritize sleep because I, it used to be something that just happened and then I had small children and then I was constantly worrying about my mother and work and all the rest of it so then sleep and then you know, perimenopause and menopause so sleep was something that didn't happen uh, and now I've realized it's something that you kind of have to work on we joke about it being um, a kind of expensive hobby that um, takes a lot of time and needs a certain amount of kit, you know, like fly fishing or cricket. But, you know, it, um, you kind of need, you need the right kit, be that blackout blinds or eye masks or supplements or pillow sprays or anything that 
might work for you, you and you know, we all have to experiment. Um, uh, and you need to give it time and you know, time to wind down, time to get off screens, um, time for some sort of pre-bed ritual that, that makes you calm enough that you're going to get to sleep. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, and, and just in terms of what I cook and what I eat and how I prioritize my time, you know, have I made time to read, for example, that, you know, that's really important uh, for our brains as we age. Have I, you know, am I trying new things? What's my new thing today? Well, today it's really easy because I'm recording a podcast with you, Deb, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, try, I try and do something new each day. I try and stay in contact with a friend each day, even if it's a quick WhatsApp or something. You know, it's, so it's, it's sort of those daily routines and that's what I tried to work into the second book, The Age Well Plan, was this is what I do, this is how I plan my day and this is how I plan my week because it, it's sort of, it is small changes. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely, I agree. It's those small changes that, that make or have the greatest effect on, on us, on our clients as well. Do you find, are you working primarily with older clients in your in your coaching practice if we jump if we jump back to your or jump around a little bit I guess is really the better word do you find you're working with older people same age as you or are you working with a variety of people I yes I'm working with people yes uh, the same age with me slightly younger slightly older I'm working with people who are at that point when they realize that it's not just enough to sort of be healthy in inverted commas or try and be healthy that they need more structure and more guidance and often there has been something in their lives like the diagnosis of a parent with dementia as in my case or their own diagnosis with high blood pressure or um pre-diabetes or something where they know they've got to do something but just want to keep on track and they kind of know what it is but how do they keep on track how do they how do i keep using the word pivot but it's it's quite a good word um how do they sort of change what they're doing now to make it to make it more valuable going forward to, to, to really extract the kind of the juice from what they're doing like you if you go you know i run every day oh okay well does it have to be a run every day? What else, what else could you do? Have you thought about doing putting some high-intensity intervals into that so that you fire up, fire up your mitochondria? Well, what are my mitochondria? Well, this is how they work. Okay, oh, I understand that now. Um, so, uh, uh, okay, fine, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll put in some uh, hit intervals into my run and maybe don't run every day. Maybe think about stretching uh, or yoga or pilates you can work that in so it's just people are getting you know, changing their routines changing what they're doing already so that you to maximize the benefits really so that either they reduce the risk of the issues they're facing themselves or they can see in you know, in the future um because of a genetic predisposition or some simply something they can see with a family member well, I mean, you're talking about the tipping point. I, I, with with clients, I find this a really fascinating thing because I find with people there has to be something. I mean, for you, it was your mom with 
Annabelle, you know, being unwell and and having her own health issues and family members not being well. I do, I, I, there's, I feel strongly there's something within us that makes us think I've got to do something. And it's how you grab onto that. And you want them to really hold onto that to give them the fire in their belly, don't you? So they say, I really want to make this change. Yes, I talk to people a lot about their sense of purpose as they age. And it's something that's in both books as well as what what are you doing this for? Who are you doing this for? What is life going to be like if you do it or if you don't do it? You know, what, you know, how, how is that going to unfold? Let's look into the future and let's really focus on the thing which is going to keep you on track. You know, if it is you know, I don't want to get dementia or I don't want to um, end up like somebody. Or I had a client who's really, really fit and healthy, and but she had broken her wrist very badly um, playing tennis and then had to, um, was totally sort of incapacitated as a result. So she had to ask her husband and sons to dress her or help her go to the loo and that realization that something can change, your life can change that quickly, yeah. really made her think. Well, okay, I'm going to make do everything I can to make sure that I'm fit and I'm strong and I'm healthy, and I'm not going to be dependent on people because I can see it now. I can see what that feels like, and it's not good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. I totally understand that. Uh, I had a. F- I had a foot up, foot up several years ago, and and um, my partner and I were laughing about how he had to help me do things that you know you just you just have to have someone there to help, to help you with that. But it does bring home how vulnerable we really are, and how things are just so delicately balanced, really, aren't they? So, so when you studied, if I ask you a little bit about the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, that's where you went, where you studied, is it? Do they, do they just focus on nutrition or do they focus on lifestyle changes as well? They focus a lot on, on lifestyle changes, what they call primary food. What you eat is secondary food. I had to get used to some of the slightly woo-woo language, but actually it makes perfect sense. What you eat is secondary food, your life is primary food. So that can be everything, your career, your mental health, your um, finances, your, your your happiness, the people around you, your relationships, all those things. Actually, as a coach, you should be looking at two, or you know, they're more important really than, um, than actually what you're eating. Because And I have found this, what I found quite a bit with people who I've coached or have come to workshops with me is that they're really keen and they want to um, make changes in their lives so they are able to age better. But there's somebody else in their life who is resistant to that, normally a partner might be kids, you know, but um, so somebody else who is making that quite difficult for them so how do they work through that how do they have those conversations so that's not you know that's not really about food that's a that's a relationship thing um and I, often a happiness thing as well so um so the IAN really asks you to focus on that but it's 
what was interesting about it was how kind of free the study was. So we had talks from all sorts of extraordinary and brilliant, amazing people. Uh, and then really it was up to you how deep you go into each subject and, and what you bring out of it, and what you take into your own coaching practice. So what Joshua Rosenthal, who set up IIN, says is that a health coach is a guide on the side, not the sage on the stage. So it's really letting your client come to you and say, these are my problems. And then essentially, the coaching process is you saying to them, what do you think you should do about it? How about this? So, so helping, helping your client make the decisions they need to make to get to the point that they want to be and helping them establish what that point is. And in, you know, in my case, what does uh, healthy aging look like to you? Where are you now? How are we going to get there? What, what changes do you, do you need to make? And how can I support you to make those changes? It's interesting because in, in the, the first book you've written, your Age Well book, you, you had already categorized it. It wasn't just about the food that you ate. And I mean, you said you evolved and you'd broken it into, do you call it four pillars, don't you? Yes. So four, yeah. yeah. Four. Um, so did that, is that what sort of led you into looking at the Institute of Integrative Nutrition? Was that, do you feel like that that sort of helped you because of the way it was structured, that it wasn't just about one thing in particular, that it was more of the holistic aspect? Yes, it's, uh, yes, the IIN certainly, and the course there certainly spoke to the research, which we'd all, you know, we'd already done, which made us think that it wasn't, you know, that it isn't just about, about nutrition that, um, and also, I think because of the background I had of writing the book, I thought, I, you know, I don't just then want to focus down a bit. I want to help people put this into practice. You know, I had quite a, a clear view of what my coaching practice would be before I signed up, which I suspect a lot of people don't have when they they go into it. They don't know their niche. You know, I'd already written a book in my niche before yeah. I started learning how to coach, which is in most, you know, it's sort of the wrong way around, or it's a different way around. It's a different way around, anyway. Yeah. Uh, yes. So the so I had the book, and then it was really a question of how do I how do I help people put this into practice because it's so brilliant. And I I think one actually key point I haven't raised yet for me was that by putting into practice all the things we learnt about aging well, I realised that I feel much better now which was something of a revelation. And I, it sounds very silly, but I sort of hadn't expected, I hadn't thought that through. I was so focused on, I don't want to get dementia and end up like my mum, that I wasn't really thinking about how I felt now. And that kind of came second and was this amazing kind of bonus. And that was another reason to want to coach, was to say, well, look, I've been very focused on my future and actually there is this amazing side effect that you feel great now and you know my weight is stable and I've got more energy and I'm fitter and all those things that's all that's all come about because of my focus on the future so you can have both yeah yeah it is a real added benefit so what was it I mean that that's I get I think it probably is already going to answer it but You've got quite a background. You've done, you are used to doing research. I mean, even and even though you say as a producer, we're used to collaborating and this and that, you still have to do a lot of research. Yeah. And you've done extensive amounts of research with, with your book. 
what was it that you learned through the the training with IIN that really added that much more to what you were already where you already were does that does that make sense yes it well it it taught me how how to coach and how to help people because there's no point having all this research and knowledge and information uh, and ability to get things done which is what comes from producing if you're not actually helping people make sense of it in their own lives so that's that was the element that the coaching course added which I didn't have before you by being a tv producer I spend a lot of time interviewing people drawing them out drawing out their stories and I have to say you're doing really well Deb you should be working oh. in telly um, <laughs> pressure. Um, the pressure <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, you know, but actually, you know, so that's one element that when when I'm coaching people, I find easy to get them to talk about themselves. And you, know, but then what the coaching course taught was how you then help people see the changes they need to make and help them work out a plan together in which they can implement them. Yeah, I think that's a. I think that's really good because you want to find that spark, and we've talked about it before. What's that? What's the tipping point? And then what are the things that they can really capture and grab a hold of? So they say, "Hey, I really do want to do this." And I, I again, I think it's really nice how you've you've come up with a variety of things. And we know Dr. Chatterjee is very similar things. And I've said to you, I I am going to promote your book to clients and on my my own Facebook page because. It's, you know, why reinvent the wheel? And I mean that in the nicest possible way, but why why not? And I love your recipes in there. I was looking at the recipes as well. Really nice, simple and easy to do, which we all need. So that's really helpful. Did you, do you think you knew when you started writing the book that you were going to say, okay, I know this is only the first book. You know, there's going to be more. Oh, no, 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 no. This, I mean, it was such, such a big, deal just to as I said just to get an agent and then to get a <laughs> no I, I I didn't think so we did we talked about um whether we could do a recipe book we were keep because there are so many I have to say great recipes on the blog yeah. we were keen to do a recipe book um but we were put off that by our publishers and by our agent because there are awful lot of recipe books in the world um and so that's why the, you know, the focus for the second book ended up not being a recipe book. Um, but no, I, I was just um, thrilled to get the first book deal. And also it was hard. You know, I found it really hard um, to write the book, you know, both of them. It, it's hard. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a grind and you, you're on your own and you, you, have to, you really have to believe in what you're doing. Um, so, I, you know, I hope that comes across in the books because... Otherwise, it's it's too difficult. Yeah, well, it, it is. And, you know, what I think is nice is that you make it approachable. And I do love that you say things like, go out and dance, go out and try. I said this earlier, but try this, try that. Be relaxed and just get in, in, into it. Because it's, I think my own personal thing is I get a tendency to be too structured, 
and I think I have to do it this way and that way. And it's taking away the ticking the box thing of saying, okay. And, and I think it's important with our clients because there are some clients that you have and they say, well, I've done this, I've done that, I've done this, I've done that. And you think you're just saying, okay, right. I should have my smoothie. I should have my greens. I should have this and that. I, I've run, I've meditated, but it's not really, they're not really embracing it. And I think what's nice is that it, your tone really strikes that. So I'm looking forward to your your age well plan and seeing what that's like. Yes, I think it all you know it all has to be done with joy and it all has to be done with purpose, which is why it's so important to you know, work out what is your sense of purpose, what is your age well life going to look like, why are you doing this? And in fact, in the second book, I get get the reader to write out their sense of purpose every week, so that it's front of mind kind of cheesy but it's front of mind is what am I doing this for well I've got to this tipping point where am I going from here Uh, and I think that's uh, that's really critical because then then you're doing it with purpose and with joy and and therefore enjoyment and then you're going to enjoy that meditation or going dancing or whatever but one one thing I always say to people about the dancing which was an absolute revelation for me because I am the worst dancer in the world Um, and I but I sort of love the idea and what I realized was if you look at the research it's not actually about how good you are at dancing that helps you age well it's about the trying and actually learning the steps and practicing is much better for your aging brain than being really amazing and being like a strictly come dancing dancer and knowing those routines off by heart it's the learning and the trying that is making you age well and that's really critical for me because now I can go dancing and be really bad and still be incredibly <laughs> smug that I'm doing this amazing thing um, and yeah other people might look at me and think god she's terrible but actually I know that I'm doing something really powerful and so that's a good feeling yeah yeah, no, that's really good. I like that. That makes me feel much better with my two left feet. So do you feel, I mean, it sounds like to me, you are really living your own purpose. Yeah. Do you have your sense of purpose written down? So you revise I, it, relive it. Uh, yes, I do. It's in the book. It's in the age well plan. Um, yes, yes, I do. And actually helping people to age well is just such a good feeling. And I love talking to clients. I love doing workshops and you know, understanding what has brought people to this point where you, you call it the tipping point where they think, I, I'd like to do something now, please. Uh, and seeing people go through that process and, and build a path uh, you know, out of it um, is so rewarding. Uh, and you know, that's what I want to continue um, doing and sort of build the practice. That's so exciting. That's so exciting. Well, I would love to to ask you to come on with a client sometime if you'd like to do that. And we can talk to your client about how the process has worked for them. If you want to wait until you've had your second book come out and people who have used it and embraced it and applied it into their lives and what they've seen come from it. Because I think that's a really it's really helpful for us to hear that and it encourages us all as practitioners in any, if it's conventional medicine, if it's more holistic medicine, it doesn't matter whether people say it's woo-woo or not. I think it's really important to hear what is actually making a change in someone's life and that's what's the most important thing. So I'd love 
this is my early pitch to you, Susan. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> you can say no. You can always say no. I don't mind. I always say that to people. You can say no. And I would love to see it. I'll have to be sure and look out for it. So what haven't I asked you? What would you like to talk about? I mean, are there other exciting things coming forward that you would like to discuss or what haven't we addressed so far? I think we've covered most of the main things. I suppose it's always worth reiterating that it is possible to change the way you age. That you, It's not set in stone. You know, how we age is not set in stone. And there are illnesses and diseases which are, are coming our way. We might get them. Uh, you, you, you know, everybody hopes not. We can't reduce our risk to zero, but we can, you know, we can make a difference to that aging process. Genetics is a relatively small percentage of uh, the whole process and it's really really worth doing everything we can and it's very easy to say oh well my mum had this and my auntie had that and yeah. I'm sure I'm gonna you know I've got a twinge of this and that so I'll get it but it's actually addressing the fact that with a healthy lifestyle we can make the most amazing difference to the aging process it's it's really really susceptible to what we do to it in life it's not there's one thing sort of being healthy and being fit when you're young but actually you, the the whole cellular process of aging which has been fascinating to study it can be very positively impacted by what we do on a daily basis and i think it's just so important to understand so i you know, when i'm coaching or doing workshops i try and explain some of the kind of basics of cellular aging uh, which I do with props like I have shoe brightly colored shoelaces and I talk about telomeres which are you know, the, the shoelace like caps on the end of our chromosomes that stop them fraying and you know, if you're you know, essentially the older you are uh, from a biological level the shorter they are uh, and so yeah, I get those out and I show people and um, I've got a, rust, a little rusty car because you, the sort of oxidation process essentially is our bodies rusting so I just try and explain it to people in a really kind of simple uh, way because I think once you've got your sense of purpose plus an understanding of what is actually happening in your body at a cellular level when you age, it starts to make sense. And rather than just saying, oh, you need to exercise, you need to exercise because this is what it does to the aging process. And if you exercise, you will be able to do that thing you dream of when you're older or cuddle your grandchildren or whatever it is. Then it starts to make sense, and then you start to make a connection with people, and the, the thought process is, okay, right, now I know, now I get it. This is why I should be doing it. So um, you know, that's something I really try and focus on is more than just telling people what they should do. It's have the understanding of why they should do it. Um, and that's not to negate the kind of genetic component. Um, Annabelle and I both had uh, tests by, uh, with 23andMe. We had um, genetic testing, and we write a little bit about it in the book. But um, Annabelle was incredibly enthusiastic. She loves testing. She's had everything tested. Um, and uh, she was, oh, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. They've got a special offer. And I really didn't want to because I really didn't know what my – didn't want to know what my genetic risk of uh, 
Alzheimer's is. And I, so I was very hesitant to get my genetic testing done. And in the end, the head did have a really fantastic special offer. And I did buy a kid and have it sent over from the States and you know, I spat in a test, test tube and sent it back. And then, um, and when I got the results, it did show me that I do carry one variant of the APOE4 gene, which is the gene most linked to Alzheimer's risk. Uh, so that was actually not bad news uh, because it means that as a carrier of that gene, it means that my chances of developing Alzheimer's before the age of 80 is one in seven. Right. Over the age of 80 is one in three. Now, that over the age of 80, you know, that's quite one in three. Obviously, it's quite high, but below that age, one in seven is 14%. It's not that bad. And if, well, it's not great, obviously, but um, if you'd asked me before I'd had the test what I thought my chances of developing dementia were, I would have said, oh, God, 80%, 90%. Because um, I just thought, you know, my mum had it. Therefore, I'll get it. And right. so actually having that test, in a way, was kind of quite reassuring because it's given me more room for manoeuvring. It makes me realise, actually, that my, the lifestyle is, is even more important. You know, um, it's, not, it's not written in stone that I'm going to get it, but it's also very clearly not written in stone that I won't. So, um, so it, you know, that has helped, you know, that helped me kind of stick to my lifestyle plan because um i've got to do every everything that i can i I don't recommend tests i always say to people if you want if you want to get it done you have to be prepared for the results because i would hate someone not to be prepared and not if you haven't thought through the fact that you might carry uh, a genetic risk of cancer or alzheimer's then it's not the right thing to do the test because you need to think it through first. Um, and I did. And one other thing that came out of that that testing was that I have an increased risk of age-related macular degeneration, um, which I should have realised because my actually my father had it. Um, but that has made me more conscious of my eye health, and so I do more to um, support my eye health as a result. So, yeah, so that yeah, that was a good thing. Um, I know, you know there's a lot of talk about genetic diets and genetic exercise plans and all the rest of it, which I th- think are perhaps a, you know, a bit too much. But um, it's you know, worth considering having that knowledge about yourself, I suppose. Yeah, I think it's, I think I sort of sixes and sevens on people being able to go out and just do the test themselves if they don't have the right support, if they find something that is that can be quite worrying whereas you took that and said right I'm gonna make the most of what I know and how I can help myself be as healthy as I possibly can which is I think as practitioners we really do want to ask our clients why do you want the test and what are you going to do with that and how is that going to benefit you and there's some obviously with the other diagnostic companies out there to help figure out why someone's health issues are occurring if you can't 
affect changes through food and lifestyle immediately, then the tests are in there, the stool tests, uh, you know, all kinds of different tests that can be done. Those are important, but I think it is, it is good for us to question ourselves as well as practitioners as to why we think these people do need these tests and with particular emphasis on the genetic tests so that we can handle that with care because we have these people and we want to make sure that we do handle them with great delicacy. Yes, yes. And these tests have a lot of power and they can be very revealing. As you say, if you don't, if you have, if you're not either prepared or have the support once you get that information it can be very you know can be very difficult but but for me it was quite a positive experience because it's uh, it, in a way I felt you know well I did feel better once I got it though I hadn't expected to yeah no I think a lot of people do I think a lot of people do I've, I've certainly got a niece that had it done extensive tests done and it really helped her feel like she wasn't it wasn't just in her head with some of the, the things that she found through the testing. So there's definitely benefits to it. So I ask this of everyone, um, what can I do to help you? What can I do other than promote your book? What could, um, what could I do to help you all out? Oh, what can you do to help? Um, I am keen to get a Facebook group, a sort of simple age world facebook group up and running in the next month or so so i would love to invite you to be part of that i will jump on with glee thank you <laughs> and i'm happy to share that with others and i think it'd be important we'll put that uh, whenever you do it just let me know and we can share it wherever is there anything else you would like to talk about no, no, I think we've covered an enormous amount, an enormous amount. I'm sure um, there are more things which I'll think of later, but um, no, I think, I think we've, um, we've, we've done a lot. Okay, good. Well, to be continued, how about that, we shall okay. say. Okay. Um, I'll twist your arm. You know I'm going to come knocking on your door saying, all right, let's talk about your book that's come out in September. So we'll have to we'll have to work on that, which I would love to do it. And, you know, that would be exciting. But for now, thank you so much for joining me. It's really been great to have you on. Thank you so much. I've so enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed talking to you, Deb. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, folks, that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed sitting in and listening in to the insights that Susan had to share today. I think it's great the way she works with her clients in identifying their own purpose so they continue to age well and be well. So then, there are a few things I'd like to ask you to do, as always. I'd like to ask you to subscribe to my podcasts. I'd love to hear how you think I'm doing, so please do give me a review. Because don't forget, these podcasts are here for you. They're here to support, collaborate, communicate, educate, and inspire one another. And the only way I'll know if I'm hitting the right mark is if you let me know. So I'll be sure to include my email in the show notes, along with all the other information that Susan and I discussed. I'd also like to ask you to please put a date in your diary on Saturday 19th September in Bristol at Engineer's House. Anita Beardsley of Love Nutrition and I are organizing an event, the multifaceted effect of gut health. We're going to be looking from science to clinical practice. The event aims to bring together a range of healthcare professionals to share innovative ways to support clients with a particular focus on gut health and its many manifestations. We are delighted to have confirmed Dr. Alan Desmond, 
Dr. Elizabeth Phillips, author Tanya Borowski, and Claire Sinton as speakers on the day. We are also pleased to say that we have the following sponsors, Pucka, Nutrigold, Genova Diagnostics, and OptiBac. Each of them have come on board as gold sponsors, and we are really excited that they're going to be joining us on the day. And I can't forget to mention one of the main supporters also is the Alliance for Natural Health. You'll be able to find all details about them or ways to get in touch with them on the show notes. Thank you again for joining me today. Until next time, I wish each and every one of you the very best of health. Bye for now. Bye.